Penn State football lost for the third time this month. They are now 0-3 in their last three games, but they played Ohio State close. How are you feeling today after Penn State loses 33-24 to Ohio State on the road? I'm your host, Thomas Frankar. This is the BWI Live Monday Recap Show. I'm joined by the BWI staff. We have Dave Eckert and Nate Bauer with me today. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Big day for everybody today, right? Dave, how yeah. you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. There's uh there's a little bit going on that I think we'll get into, but uh I'm excited. Uh it's going to be fun. Nate, how are you feeling after the uh, trip back from Columbus? You caffeined up and uh, ready to go? No, I feel sleepy. <laughs> but I'm going to fight through it for you. Well, I I and for everyone here watching on the show, which we love that you're here. Thank you to everyone who shows up today. Um, we got some big news, as you may see on uh, the screen for you right now. If you're wondering what on three means, Blue White Illustrated has a brand new home. From the founder of Rivals and 247 Sports comes the next generation of high school and college fan experience, On3. On3 is going to change the way you follow Penn State sports with technology and a 21st century approach to recruiting. The great news is everything we do, everything Dave does, everything uh, uh, Nate does, everything Ryan Snyder does, Greg Pickle, everything's staying the same at Blue Way Illustrated. You're just finding it in a new and better place. Sign up to On3 right now and get the first year for free for just $1. Link is going to be in the description of every video on Blue White Illustrated's YouTube channel. We'll put it up there after the show is done. So if you want to check out On3, the film analysis from this week is up. We have an amazing Inside the Den already from uh, from Nate talking about the, the long-term view of Penn State football and their commitment to winning. So all of that right now at On3. Guys, I know we were all up late last night with the introduction of the new channel. Any first thoughts you want to give to everybody about why they should join On3? Uh, Nate, we'll start with you as our tenured professor. Because the gang's all here. I mean, I'm not really sure how else to put it. It's it's uh, it's the people surrounded by better information. Infrastructure, And if I know anything, it's how important infrastructure is to getting the best out of your personnel. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm making jokes about Penn State football, what it needs to do in the future. But very seriously, on three is extremely exciting. I, I know that you guys feel the same way. Um, it's just a, a, an awesome opportunity for us. Uh, me personally, but us more so as an organization. I mean, Blue White Illustrated, I just think, is poised to uh, to really take off here. So, it's great. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on on today and what it means for you uh, here at On3? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited, just like Nate. You know, I, there's On3 is a really exciting place. Uh, there's there's going to be an awesome uh, recruiting database that's in, the, that's in the works, if that's your thing. There's a ton of really intelligent, smart people whose work you can read there. Um, and then by that, I mean me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> totally. uh, but no, seriously, it's, it's great. Um, and, and as Nate said, that's that's where we are now. If you, if you like what we do, um, if you've been following what, what we say, what we write, that's the place to do it. So, um, you know, they, they've, they're giving us a platform to bring you more, to give you more of what it is that you like. So. I'm really excited, and uh, I think it's going to be great. I hope you guys follow us there. And we already have a sign-up today. I'm not going to pretend I know which uh, characters that language is from, but Penn State Abroad uh, says the sign-up just now. Thanks for the offer. Super awesome. Welcome to the On3 family. Uh, so let's get into the game. Penn State loses 33-24. Dave, do moral victories exist? Do, do, and, and do you think that is one from what happened on Saturday? I think that they do, but I think it depends on your perspective. Uh, you know, whether whether it's a moral victory for um, a sophomore uh, who, who played in that game and played well and can derive some lessons, I, I think that can be a moral, moral victory for that player. Um, is it a moral victory for Sean Clifford, who might have just played his last game against Ohio State and is now, you know, 0-5? Probably not. Um, it, it, that's kind of what I wrote about after the game is I think 
whether or not you can accept that kind of depends on your circumstance and your perspective, if that makes sense. Um, from a fan's perspective, I think it's encouraging, right? I, I, I thought they were going to get steamrolled. I did. Period. Uh, Maya Koopa, they obviously did not get steamrolled. You're not the so, only one, though. There, yeah. There's multiple people uh, on this show that had that feeling. So you're, you're not the only one. That's why I asked that today, because I know, right. the, the at least from a fan perspective, yes, Nate, you're, we're getting to you in just a second, because that, that, is, that is something I want to know, is like, do you feel James Franklin, after games, I think is his most himself? From what I've seen of him, as far as he's actually emotional, he is not. He doesn't have a ton of prepared statements. He's not as polished, and you get a little bit more inside of how he feels. Now, he's still James Franklin, but I thought the way he sounded in the post game, and you were there live, so I want you to tell me if that if I'm off base here. It didn't sound as crushed as I was expecting in a loss. Is that fair? And do you think that, as he talked about in the post game, there are great lessons to be taught and positive things to come out of that game? Where do you stand on the idea of moral victories in that game? And and I guess as a second part, how do you think he views it? Um, I think that we look at, and when I say we, I mean collectively, right? Uh, and I'm I'm going to get to a point. I promise here. But I think that we look at the game very differently from the people who are involved in it, uh, specifically the coaches and the players. And so uh, Jair Brown said something that like really just hit me in the moment uh, after the game saying that they don't look at the score uh, mm. during the course of the game. Right. Like, I mean, obviously you're aware of it, 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 right. But it doesn't change the granular approach that you have to have on a play by play. Like, it just doesn't make a difference. You're, if you're competitive, if you're a competitor, you want to win that rep. Yep. Like that's it. <laughs> that's it. And so, uh, I think that when Penn state goes back to evaluate this game, they're going to say to themselves, Hey, um, yes, and I understand the, the blowback that this is going to get. Yes, they lost the game. We lost the game. But if you look at the reps, Penn State won a bunch of reps yep. in that game. Yep, that's Penn State, exactly right. Penn State won a bunch of reps in that game. And so now you're talking about, all right, this is the, this is the, the standard, is Ohio State football. That's it. Like, Bottom line is Ohio State is the standard in the Big Ten of what everyone else is trying to get to. And Penn State can say to itself today, all right, uh, we can hang. We can we can win reps. It's yeah. not a it's not just a uh, a, a one-sided affair, them keeping us at bay for the duration of the game. Um it it, it there were a sizable number of reps that Penn State won, and I think that they can come out of it feeling um, feeling that way while still being extremely disappointed that an opportunity that existed to maybe take one at Ohio State, I'd said this to Greg after the game, uh, it, this just doesn't happen all that often, right? Yep. You get one crack a year. Yep. And so when, when Ohio State is vulnerable as it was in that specific game for as good as they have been this season – you just you're gonna you're gonna feel a little salty that that you weren't able to come away um, getting a win in that circumstance. Yeah, Penn State was able to make plays on both sides of the ball. They were able to drive the football on an Ohio State defense that had been getting pressure on everybody. They were able to stop and stymie one of the most explosive offenses in college football. They only scored. 26 points in that game. And I know that for some people that sounds like a lot, but this is a team that's half of what they were scoring before. So we'll get into both sides of the ball. We'll get in offense, defense. We generally don't talk about special teams, but we might be talking about some field goals here on the show. And if you want to ask any questions, you can throw that in the chat. We'll be responding to some of them. And if you want to donate to the channel uh, like Dave has, and uh, you want to give us a super chat, that's always welcome. We make sure we get you on the screen and we an answer your question. Uh, but for everything else, we'll, we'll get to everything as we get through the show. Uh, so there's been some there's been some talk over the last 24 to 48 hours that James Franklin is not the guy at Penn State because 
another big game loss. Another big game loss. Another big game can't come through regardless of the situation or circumstance. It's just not good enough. And Dave says winning with integrity is important and James Franklin is that type of leader. It Let me ask you this guys. We talked about this going back to the Iowa game and the shifting of priorities in college football. Does that matter to the majority of the fan base, do you think, Dave? Um, and should it matter? I don't I I, I guess I, I think the Penn State's fan base is uniquely split when it comes to this question. I think if you ask some of the younger people, they might say no. And if you ask some of the older people, they might say yes. Um, what the proportions are there, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want to be doing bad things, right? You don't want to be just being a bad person. Um, no one, I, no I one in their own story is the bad guy, right? Right. <laughs> right. But I, I guess, you know, the, the rub that I kind of have with that is people tend to just get angry about like things like celebrations and things like, you know, being excited when you do something good. And I don't agree with that personally. Um, but uh, I, I don't really know how to parse that into a direct answer to this question, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, there, there's a balance. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm forming a question out of what Dave had to say, because I do want to, I, I do want to bring up the topic of there is a portion of the fan base that first off, they just don't like James Franklin. But secondly, it seems like there is no context. There is no, um, Everything is an excuse and nothing but the winning matters. And maybe it's a small minority that's loud, but they are, I think, uh, very much there. And, and Nate, is that is that fair to characterize it that way? Is that something that we that we should be aware of? Or is this, again, like the small minority making a lot of noise? Um, You know, look, like we we are employed Right. Like we have a career to take an objective look at why things happen and relay that information to the public. Okay. Um, fans aren't paid to have that perspective. <laughs> they don't make any money <laughs> off of being rational or having nuance to their opinions. They want a bottom line result. And so I don't, I don't think that there should be really any pushback to the notion of a Penn State fan wanting Penn State football to win all of its games, right? Like, that's right. fine. That is there, the engine that drives the whole thing. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, and so, so like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that passion. What I think, again coming from the person who's paid to be objective about this, what I see is the necessity of a better education as to why things are the way that they are, what what happened in the game that transpired, but then what happens on a program-wide level, why, why things are the way that they are for Penn State football, um, and relay that information. But then also, like, Penn State fans have to... Or, or maybe it's not even Penn State fans. Penn State as a university needs to find a way to wrangle that, I'm going to say, irrationality and turn it into something positive for Penn State football. Right. Like, that's... Right. that's if, if, if people care this much that no amount of legit... Like, Penn State football, not as good when their starting quarterback isn't fully healthy. You know, and I, and like, there's not a true freshman five-star on the bench. It, you know, and, and so, yes, are those things that can be critiqued? Absolutely. Uh, but but the the uh, the golden ticket for Penn State football moving forward is figuring out how to turn that perspective, that passion, that fan base into something that helps and propels the program forward. 
So I want to get into the game, and we'll get to some more questions that that are uh, coming up in the chat in a little bit. But I want to set that that conversation down for just a little bit. But it is kind of the framework of what we talk about for the next, uh, what do we got here, about uh, 45 minutes when, when it gets to the game is Penn State was good in this game. Offensively, defensively, they were good in this game. They just came up short against one of the best teams in the country. So let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Nate? You were not confident that the Penn State yeah. offense could move the football, let alone score points. What did you see that you weren't prepared for or expecting in the game on Saturday? Um, so, so I saw what I expected and what I didn't expect in the same game, which was Sean Clifford's mobility being a problem and creating additional sack opportunities against an already very good defensive line for Ohio State. Uh, and let's be honest, that won the game for Ohio State. Yep. <laughs> two, yes. two plays two plays specifically won the game for Ohio State. Uh, however, what I, what I did not see coming was Sean Clifford and Penn State's offensive line having the wherewithal and the ability to get comfortable enough to exploit what you saw and what you were talking about leading into the game, which was soft spots in that Ohio state coverage. Um, you know, I mean, they just, uh, there, there was, uh, I dare I say a surgical procedure back there, kind of picking them apart. Um, he yes, yeah. he found, he found those spots and, and Sean Clifford hit him, and, you know, look like, it would be different, I think, if that had been a game where Penn State's receivers needed to win one-on-ones. It wasn't. They were running free. Yep. They, there, there were a lot of, of very open pass and catch. And so that was that was the element that I think that Penn State really did a nice job. And, and look, like, <laughs> you should be the one to bring it up, but... You know, there was some some uh, dare I say uh, holding <laughs> going on among Penn State's pass protection oh, that yeah. that that yeah. made those things possible. <laughs> but hey, like you you play the game as it's called, and so yeah. within that construct, Penn State had a ton of success. And guess what? Uh, if that continues, and they're allowed to uh, tackle blitzers. <laughs> on the way into murdering Sean Clifford. So they're, they're going to have a lot of success. Moving apparently forward. the big 10 does not care about holding. Cause it's the second week in a row that it has come up in a game last week, Illinois was doing it and it was just what it was. Nobody called that. And then in this game, they called one of them. Uh, but that, so this is one of the things and my film review is up at on three. It's a, it's a premium article. If you want to subscribe for a dollar, $1, Bob, you get in and you get to see the film review. When you and this is something I talk about at the end is that if you go back and watch the film, you see everyone's mistakes, not just the players. You see everyone's mistakes, and I think this is indicative of a a larger conversation about the quality of referees, not an indictment on everyone hates Penn State the way Penn State fans feel like it is. SEC refs are bad. Pac-12 refs are bad. Refs, there's a shortage of quality ones because no one wants to do that job and it's a it's a grind it's a lot of work it's a lot of travel um i did an interview one time a couple of years ago about this and there is genuinely a shortage of referees especially in college basketball so it's a thing um but it it, it is a th it is also true that penn state had a good game plan to go in and attack ohio state uh dave what was the thing that impressed you the most about how penn state was able to operate on uh saturday yeah, I, I think similar to Nate, I was just impressed by Sean Clifford. Um, that was a different Sean Clifford than the Sean Clifford I thought we were going to be seeing. I anticipated a much more uh, limited, and, and obviously he still wasn't moving perfectly, but I do think that he took a jump physically um, from, from Illinois to Ohio State. So that clearly helped. But yeah, I mean, what did he throw for? 360 yards? Yeah, 361 yards. Yep. Um Certainly, he made a couple mistakes that mattered, but ultimately, for me, he's the reason Penn State was in this game, um, period. Uh, yeah. You know, the defense helps, but um, the, the the difference in Sean Clifford, to me, was the reason that this wasn't, you know, 31-7 to 7 or, or, or something like that. 
I, I earlier this year I called Villanova his most complete performance that he's ever given. Uh, this was given the the opponent and the stage. This was his best performance from from beginning to end. And you'll forgive, you know, a couple of the plays. It really was though um, the same thing we were seeing in the Ohio or in the Iowa game before he was injured. So this is a even down to throwing a couple bad interceptions operating underneath making good decisions they were seven of nine on third down passing that is entirely and 100 related to sean clifford and his work on that down uh and, and it was it was something that disappeared obviously when he left but also in the illinois game where for some reason the injury affected his mental process as well and, and that was something that came back this year, at least that's my view of it. Nate, is it, you're you're giving me the maybe yes, maybe no head. What what are you what are you thinking about that? I I actually I, this is my perception, and I don't know if there's stats to back it up. That's the problem. Uh, how many drops were there in that Illinois game? I can go look it up, but I don't have it in front of me. Uh, let me let me take a look at that. Or Dave, you want to take a look at that? Yeah, I'll grab it for you. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair point. Point point being is you know the numbers change a little bit if. I mean, certainly the tight ends had a very tough day uh, at against Illinois. They actually kind of had a, a great slash tough day against Ohio State. I mean, I think that yeah. there were, you know, there were, look, like, it's one of those things where um, there's this lack of acknowledgement that even great players don't catch every pass that hits them in the hands. Right. Just. That's the way it is, um, and so I, you know, I, I always want to be cognizant of what the standard is there uh, that these guys are held to. But, but you can definitely think back on a few drop balls, uh, certainly in this one, but more so in against Illinois that would have uh, probably changed the outcome of that game. Uh, yeah, PFF gives them two drops against Illinois officially. I think that is low, but um. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Make it seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting, and this is a total tangent that I don't think anyone's interested in, but I just have to say it in the official game book. Anything that's not caught is considered a drop. And I find that to be bananas. Like now they're tracking targets, but they have to do something with the balls that aren't thrown. So they just pin it out like John Dotson. It must have like 14 drops in the last two games, because if he's targeted and it's not caught, it's a drop. So drops can be a little bit subjective across the board. Um is <laughs> what is the identity of this Penn State offense? This is another thing that's come out of this game that, for me, I think is super interesting because they were good, but were they good? What what is the identity of this team that you've seen so far, Nate? I I mean, look, like it it we it, this feels like talking in circles a little bit, but um, for as much angst as exists over them not being able to run the ball efficiently and effectively, it always comes back to the same place for me, which is they don't want to. Like, they don't... Like, do they want to run the ball well when they do it? Yes. But that's not this version of Penn State's offense. I mean, even what James Franklin was saying after the game, um, I, I think was a little disingenuous, right? Uh, adjusted for sacks, Penn State averaged 2.2 yards per carry. Okay. Yep. That's, that's still not good enough. That's still not good enough for the running game. But they converted However, third downs. But they converted third downs. They got a couple of touchdowns, right? Yep. Like, And so if you're... There's this, this balance between getting the most out of that element when you do it, but primarily still having an identity that you want to revolve around passing the ball effectively. That's how you win college football. Like it's not, this isn't, I, I don't know. I mean, I get it. I, I understand people want what they don't have, but, and, and certainly within a fan base that is used to traditionally having some very effective uh, strong, tough, blue collar, throw in any other cliche that you want. Yep. Out of the running game. I Gritty. Get it. Gritty. <laughs> but that's not that's not who they are. That is yep. not who they are. 
They want to pass the ball effectively. They want to have chunk plays in the passing game. I mean, I think if you if if you're looking at this game and want to call out maybe a shortcoming, it's for as many chunk plays as they had or explosive plays as they had in the passing game. The long was 32 yards. Stay tuned. We're going to be doing a BWI daily edition about that and and this very topic later today. And I I think it's a fair assessment. Can I come on? Yes, please, dear God. Yes, I would love that. <laughs> uh, Dave, uh, is this offense, given that, is it efficient enough to continue to win games? Let's 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 start the bidding at win games over the final uh, and all of the games, and then we'll work d- down from there. Are they efficient <laughs> enough on that side of the ball to win all of the games, some of the games, or bowl eligible of the games? <laughs> um. As far as the remaining games on their schedule, I think the offense that we saw today is is plenty good enough to win all of those games. I, I don't think it's good enough to beat, again, as we saw Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, etc. I think it's a step below that, which I think generally we all kind of agree that's where Penn State exists right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 again, I, they're one-dimensional, which isn't, isn't great. But they did use the running game on Saturday, I thought, well enough to at least make it a, a, something that Ohio State had to account for. And I know we, we, we might be getting to this later, but I thought that maybe that's why they ran the ball a little bit earlier in the game, a little bit more, um, just because to, to, to force Ohio State to respect it so you, know, you can make bigger plays later on in the game. And and it and it did. It came back in the in the form of the RPO. But Penn State really, on the first two drives, just ran the ball. And this is the second week in a row they've done that. At a certain point, aren't you? I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit confused by that tactic because it comes out as like we want to work on the running game. We want to be a more physical team. And then at the first sign of danger, with game pressure. They go full on RPO, throw the ball down the field, pass, 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 pass. And in a couple of the situations, there were some three and outs. There was some sacks mm-hmm. that led to end of drives and then points the other way. Is the distribution of the running game, we're going to get to Tyler. I mean, I'm going to rephrase your question, Tyler, but is the distribution of the running game a problem to either of you? Uh, quickly, I just I want to I want to cover this quickly and then and get on to something else, Nate. No. I don't okay. think so, <laughs> Dave. Look, like if you can if you can throw for four hundred yards or three fifty or whatever it is, and and finish with four hundred yards of offense, you're going to be in a good position to win most of your games. Period. Yeah, same. Do, do they, I generally I didn't have a, a huge problem with anything that they did on offense really on Saturday. Okay, yeah, yeah. and I generally I, I don't either. It's just interesting that Tyler asks what's going on in the running game. Is the O line a problem or the running back problem? Um, we have talked about this quite a bit on this show of it's all of it and it is a systemic problem. And as Nate pointed out, they want to be good at passing. That's what they want to be able to do, but they need to be able to run the ball when they want to. It's more about the efficiency of when you do it. So let me ask it this way, because the offensive line, I think from a personnel perspective is it, it. that's the shortcoming is they don't have guys that are big enough to move players off the ball consistently and to consistently get their blocks, like to just consistently execute the play. How do you prevent yourself from being this thin on the offensive line going forward? Uh, Nate, I want to get to you. You look like you have something else you want to add. So add whatever you want here as well. But I want you to answer that question. How do you fix this in the long term? Because it is a depth issue, in my opinion. How do you fix that? More, well, first of all, more duffel bags with cash. Okay, <laughs> that's how you start. Um, it's the offensive no, line, but, so you got to get some gift cards I, to like I, uh, houses. I don't know somewhere you get always, a buffet. Always houses. No, I want to. I want to say one more thing about the running backs, just because I think it's important. Sure, Henderson did not have that great of an efficiency for his game. Okay, nope. Penn State stuffed him in the run fairly well through the course of that game. Guess what? This is what James Franklin talks about. That 68-yarder, backbreaker. Okay? And what Penn State doesn't have is that 68-yarder. And they had opportunities at it. There were holes. There were were chances that Penn State's running backs missed 
to do exactly that. You can live with like the yards per carry average, all of those things, they can change pretty dramatically when you got a guy who, when the moment hits, he gets it. He gets that big one. And yep. so like, to me, that's, that's the second part of the identity that is not being talked about in terms of what this Penn State offense wants to be. Well, this like, is this goes back to what I talked about in the spring of why, why aren't you, if you're missing that, and I understand that we don't get to see practice, but Keziah Holmes is the only guy on this roster right now that has legitimate speed. And as far as we know, he's he's on the practice squad. So, again, how do you, how do you fix that? How do you make sure that you always have a game-breaker back there? Do you have to go heavier into the transfer portal? Do you have to prioritize different things, Dave? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Um, it, it, again, because you look at the two guys that Penn State, you know, we Penn State we thought would be relying on heavily, and you know that turned out to be true is Noah Kane and Kevon Lee. Neither of them are game breakers. Noah Kane had um, what I would describe as a gaping hole in I think it was the third quarter. Yes, um, and got- all he had to do was break through an ankle tackle. Um, and he might have scored, and he didn't. Um, I, I think it might have been a loss on that play, actually. There was uh, that one, and then the other one he slipped through, which was he was into the secondary and got, I think, 21 yards. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, it, obviously, those guys aren't aren't doing that, and, and that's something that's important to Penn State. If you look at the running backs that Penn State has recruited and who has you know who have gone on to have success here, Journey Brown... Uh, Miles Sanders, Saquon Barkley, all of those guys had that quality. Yep. So why no one on this roster does, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that it was intended to be constructed that way. And obviously right. losing Journey Brown prematurely maybe had a had an impact there, although he probably would have gone to the NFL after last season anyway. Yep. Um, but you, you look at Nick Singleton, who, you know, is 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 coming in next season. Um potentially maybe has a chance to play early because we think he's a guy with that quality. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think maybe the fix could be coming. Um, but I don't, I don't know where it is. And I, I to, to your point, I don't know why Kaziah Holmes isn't getting opportunities. Yeah. Right? And, and the, I don't know why I think is, is more of a question so far than more so than an accusation because yeah. that, we don't know, but we do know what he possesses, and then there must be something alarmingly wrong if he's not able to to contribute in any meaningful way, uh, especially when they have this big of a need. Um, that is the, I guess that is the thing, is it's not here this year, and it's how long until help arrives. I wonder if this sort of season, and, and this goes to some positions on the defensive side of the, of the ball as well. Penn State brought in cornerbacks, you know, in the fistful in the transfer portal this offseason, but they could only get two defensive linemen uh, and the offensive line. They brought in a transfer there. James Franklin has always brought in young players and focused on recruiting and getting talent that way, which which is the right way. But with the transfer portal and the impatience of young people, does that philosophy need to shift just a little bit, Nate? Yeah, and I think it is. I mean, I think it I think it's shifting slightly right i mean you can't look at the players that they brought in and really say that they missed they didn't no. nope I, I mean they, they have hit money on all of them uh so you know do, do there do there need to be more maybe i i think the the frustration lies in for penn state not being able to convince certain players that keeping some patience and keeping some faith in the development that's happening to them uh, and, and coming to see that to fruition, right? Like you need to get to your redshirt sophomore year before realistically you're going to be much of a contributor, uh, certainly on the offensive line, but even on the defensive line to a certain extent, right? I mean, bottom line, this is a big boys game. Yep. This is a big boys game in there. And 18-year-old bodies aren't ready for that most of the time. So, you know, I just, it's it's tough. Like, it, there, there's, there's a complexity to it that Penn State is going to have to figure out. But I do still think that development through the normal process, quote-unquote, yeah. is, is something that certainly Penn State 
still prefers. It, 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 I, I'm, tr- I'm struggling because obviously we don't cover some of the premier programs, but I, I do think that the transfer portal seems to be affecting the upper middle teams more so than the upper crust teams. And, and, and as much as it still is affecting those teams, again, I, I bring this up. Do you think Nick Saban wants to be playing a freshman quarterback? I think he'd prefer to have a veteran there that's been sitting and developing and ready to go and ready to have his big Mac Jones year, but this is the situation he finds himself in. So is this, I I wonder if we're going to see the long-term effects of it's going to even further distance the best teams from the other teams, because those, those places that are putting players in the NFL, you might have a little bit more patience if you are one of these young, very talented uh, five-star recruits. Now, I want to skip to the defensive side of the football. And speaking of guys that Penn State picked up from non-traditional places, like, I don't know, Lackawanna Community College, check out the November issue of Blue White Illustrated featuring Penn State's dynamic duo in the secondary, Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker. Brown had a phenomenal game this weekend. BWI gears up for winter sports as well. Exclusive Q&As with new head coach of Penn State basketball, Michael Shrewsbury, and a preview of the Nittany Lions wrestling lineup. Learn more at bluewhiteonline.com or calling 800-421-7751. And don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is our this is our, our shameless plug segment of the day, so subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you don't miss anything because it's going to be a wild finish for Penn State football, kind of like Penn State and Ohio State. And uh, who are we going here with? I, I don't think I've asked you a question a bit, Dave. How do you view the defensive performance in the secondary uh, last weekend, considering the big chunk plays that set up some game-winning and some critical moments, but also how well they played overall? How do you view that performance by the secondary? Yeah, I think it's you have to just look at it relatively, right? I mean, look at, look at who they're trying to deal with there. Um, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, good players, I would say. <laughs> you know, and... and uh, Penn State wasn't perfect. Um, I think we're going to talk about Tariq Castro Fields. He had some tough moments, but generally, again, I just I don't I don't I don't see room for like massive massive criticism there. It's it's certainly there there were some plays that they would like to have back, but the defense as a unit I thought played pretty well, and and their offense uh, has a ton of playmakers, and and yeah. it's not like you can prioritize the passing game because if you do. Travion Henderson is going to totally torch you. So I, I just thought they were able to balance themselves pretty well. They didn't get absolutely obliterated on in either phase of the game. Um, I I have a hard time going at Penn State secondary after that game. So I'm gonna go after Penn State secondary with a question, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nate. We've talked about this before, where uh, fans have been a little bit upset or a little bit nervous about Tariq Castro-Fields. He gave up two big plays, including a touchdown on Saturday. Um, what do you do there? I, you know, look, like... <laughs> I'm just going to throw you up this uh, something and, uh, and hope you come down with it. <laughs> well, no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I you know, look, like he, he is who he is. And I think that if there was an option that they felt more comfortable with behind him, then they would go with that. I, I Look, like there's no... To be, like, fair, oh, well, to be fair to Tree Castro Fields, he also got a pass breakup and on the majority of snaps did not give up a touchdown. Well, that's the. Th- I mean, it's 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 a little bit of the offensive line conversation, you know, rehashed in that you can be good to great in ninety five percent of your snaps, and the two that don't go really well and are backbreakers can hurt you. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, like that's that's just kind of. I I don't know. I I first of all, I thought that the long catch and run where he missed the tackle mm-hmm. was not egregious. Am I wrong about that? So it's it's man coverage, so it's on him and the safety player, you know, the the safety valve Jair Brown in that situation to make sure that that catch and run doesn't happen. A little bit of over pursuit by J- Jair Brown and not being there at the catch point. And also, Jackson Smith and Jigba being awesome. Like, again, Tariq Castrofields is a good corner, and he whiffed on on his jam at the line of scrimmage because Smith and Jigba 
is just that fast and that explosive. So it's a little bit of column A, a little column B. As James Franklin said, it's it's everything. Some sometimes you lose the rep. And so yeah. I don't I I don't know. I just I I fail to go too far over the top in terms of like and again, I mean I, you know, I hate to go down this path, but I'm I want to. Penn State's defense gave up 26 points on the road yep. at Ohio State. Got to win the game. Yep. That's it. That's it. And not only that, but Ohio State started with the ball at, on average, its own 34, but started with field position at Penn State's 49, 28, Ohio State's 47, right? Like, yep. Ohio State consistently had excellent field position and Penn State, for the most part, defensively, turned those drives into field goals or yep. nothing. And so, like that's that that's it. You got you got to score more than twenty four points, uh, and you can't give up touchdowns uh, from your offense. That's yep. like these are these are bottom line propositions. Uh, were you surprised, Dave, by the play of the Penn State defensive line, given? the night and day appearance of what happened in the Illinois game and, and the defensive tackles in particular. Incredibly. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, that was the one, uh, that was really the thing coming into this game where, where I just felt that Penn State's defensive line wasn't going to give it a chance. Because again, you look at what Illinois was able to do and they torched him. And, and you know, they used heavy sets and Penn State had no response. So, you know, maybe the the personnel that Ohio State was putting on the field was a little bit more, a little bit easier for Penn State to match up against because, again, they weren't playing with effectively nine offensive linemen. <laughs> right. It's um, a little bit easier to stop when you have three defensive tackles if the other team puts just the regular linemen out there. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I thought they were good. Um, I was extremely surprised. Um, as Nate said, I think... They won a lot of their reps. Um, they kept Trevion Henderson bottled up for the most part. Um, uh, he had that nice long run. And again, toward like late in the game, I thought he was good kind of killing the clock. Um, yeah, yeah. You but, could tell they other... wore down because of right. depth, I'd say. that yeah. and, and Jesse Lucchetta having to run a, a, a ball back 80 <laughs> yards for no reason. That was a... The, you know, normally those things are they come or go to me, and I don't really pay attention to those sort of situations. But you could see he was gassed, and he was played really well, and that absolutely factored in down the stretch when they had to stop a couple fourth downs. Um, if you want to get a a question in the chat, make sure you uh, drop it in there. We'll be talking about the Penn State defense for the rest of the show. Wanted to make sure we got to this, and if you have any questions and you want to donate, like Dave, always appreciated. Uh, Penn State is the only other team other than Georgia to have only given up two offensive touchdowns. I think he means per game. Uh, can we keep that up the rest of the year? Because I don't know exactly what he means by that in particular from from the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, but it brings up the question of, and, and kind of leads me back to my previous point about the secondary, is with an offense as inconsistent as they have, and that has to meticulously get the ball down the field, can they be perfect? Do they have to be perfect to win games going forward, Nate? I don't know about I don't know about perfect. I mean, I, I just I think they need to continue to play at the level that they're playing. I mean, I I don't think that there's I I mean, and I trust me, I get it. I get the Illinois critiques, uh, but this defense, if we don't know by now, is good to great. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what else they need to do. Like right. they they have held up their end of the bargain just about every game if not every game. And yep. so, you know, I don't I don't think that the expectation can can really change or I mean maybe it can change, but I don't really necessarily think that it's fair to 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 change that expectation. If 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 Penn State holds and you know, we just saw Michigan and Michigan State get into the 30s. Yep. Um, you know, like so those are the two left on Penn State's schedule that I think probably um, create, I'm not really sure what Maryland's scoring numbers are at right now, but point being is if you're going to hold either Michigan State or Michigan in the mid to high 20s, that that has to be enough. Yeah. That's got to be enough. 
Yeah. If it's not, then it's not, it's really not their fault. Um, that, because that's just, that's, that's the standard. That's the way that uh, the game is played at this point. And one of those, I think, frustrating units for Penn State fans is the linebacker group, and they had a phenomenal day on Saturday as a group and as individuals. Dave, can they be a strength of the team with as inconsistent as they are, but given their high level of play at times? Like, how do you view that group of players? I view them as a wild card um, because I have no idea what they're going to give pretty much ever. (laughs) Um, <laughs> I thought Curtis Jacobs was awesome. I thought Ellis Brooks was really good in the run game. I thought Brandon Smith was good. Um, I'm not sure that they've all played well in the same game like that before. Um, if, if, if you guys can think of it, an example, by all means. But I, that it didn't really strike me as it did in this game before the season. Um, so, yeah, I, if they continue to play like that, certainly they're a strength. I just... I don't know if I believe that they're capable of that level of consistency to call them a strength. I think they right. are a happy wild card most of the time, um, just uh, generally. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put that. Uh, is this the coming out party for Curtis Jacobs, Nate? I mean, he was phenomenal on Saturday. He made some big-time plays. Do you think that's indicative of what to expect going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that you could expect it every single game, but I think that certainly if if that's the potential, if that's what he has shown, uh, certainly I think through the course of the season. I mean, I, it just it feels to me like a, a pretty obvious upward trajectory for him um, from from the end of last season to, to right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think that there's really any que- – like I, I remember covering Curtis Jacobs at a rival's – five-star camp years ago right and he, you're allowed to do that <laughs> i don't know maybe not maybe not I'm, cut me get me out of here did uh he was at, he did, was at uh, a camp where other players were and no, no but he was great. We, we were just wondering if uh if ryan got you in if he had to give you the password or he's like he's with me at the recruiting camp Oh no! Yeah, I mean, it was a total mix-up accident. There's no way that I should have been there, but I was, and I saw him, and it was overwhelmingly clear that stacked up against the best players in the country for that class, he was excellent. He was very, very good. Um, you know, Penn State's linebackers under Brent Pry tend to need some seasoning. That, like, I think that was even true of Michael Parsons when he got to Penn State. Yep. However. Um, you know, given that seasoning and certainly last year was not an ideal way to, to spend it, but yeah, he's, he's on that path. He he is very clearly showing that he has those capabilities. Yeah. And, and the most consistent guy that we haven't mentioned individually, and I think deserves some recognition here is Ellis Brooks. He was awesome. Totally. He was awesome on uh, totally. on Saturday. And the system, you've talked about this before, Nate, of how like things are set up for that guy to make plays. And yep. and he was able to find the hole, find the running back and make plays. And it I you know, those diving tackles against outside zone when he's scraping all the way over the B gap are impressive, but he also a lot of times destroyed the offensive line on pull blocks or at the point of attack. And those don't even get recognition of a guy that's just doing the dirty work from that position when then that frees up a guy like Curtis Jacobs or that frees up a guy like Jair Brown to come in and make the tackle. He's like of that group. He is the consistent one. Uh, And this brings up a question because he's smart. Yes. He's, he's a smart football player. It's one of the first things that, that uh, I had a conversation with Dwight Galt before the season and, you know, look, like Ellis Brooks has taken some knocks in terms of perception yeah. through his Penn State career. But Dwight Galt did not hesitate to say how important Ellis Brooks was to Penn State's defense and that the reason he is so important is not because he's a freak in the weight room. It's because right yep. here. Yep. He's, he's, he's great. He's great in that element, and that allows him to play uh, at, a, at a level that is has been very, very high this season. So it brings up this question specifically with uh, with uh, Ellis Brooks is something I talked about or I was thinking about the other day. How many, <clears throat> excuse me, ooh, that was bad. How many starters could the Penn State defense lose next season? Do you put him on that list as a guy that might go to the NFL? Dave. Ellis Brooks? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a he's he's a senior, so certainly I I think um, him leaving uh, is is you know a possibility. Yeah. Um, the, so there's the there's senior. a couple. My my point is there's a couple of players that do have that extra year of eligibility, which right. James is James Franklin has said no one's using it. If if they need to, they'll probably use it. Yeah. Do do you think like you know the I guess the how many of these guys do you think are coming back next year? on the defense because this is if you look at the number of players that could go based on their performance do you have the dna of this particular team still embedded in the players that are remaining that's i guess the larger point yeah i i think that penn state is going to have a rebuilding job on its hands on defense next season big time i just did some finger counting um and i got nine guys that could potentially leave i think among the starters uh we, we can maybe fact check that later, but um, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it will be nine, but nine is the maximum. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a rebuilding job to be done there, I think. So there there you have it, your optimism for next year from Dave <laughs> Eckert here on the BWI Live Show, now part of the On3 Network. We're super excited about that fact. Make sure you check out on3.com and the Penn State site as well to make sure you are caught up on everything going on on Monday. We have, as I've described it, a fire hose of content every Monday for you after Sunday where everyone's watching their football and grief eating after a loss or celebrating and waking up with your Bloody Mary after a win. Monday we hit you full in the face, a frying pan full of content. On3.com is where you find it. Uh, Nate, key moment in the game for you during uh, Penn State, Ohio State. Which one of the big plays was the turning point to you? Uh, Clifford's fumble and the return for a touchdown. I mean, look, like there's it, and I will not accept any other answer from either of you because <laughs> because Penn State had an opportunity. I mean, they're at midfield. They're they're past midfield. They're at like the thirty five yard line, and Penn State had an opportunity there to with three minutes left to play in the half. Uh, not necessarily take control of the game, but certainly go to the half, either tied or down a couple of points, you know, or take a lead. So, right, for 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 that to transpire in that situation cannot happen. It cannot happen. Uh, T. Frank, I'll let you level the blame. Somebody is responsible. And I understand. Yeah. Ohio State made a play, right? They yeah. they collapsed on the pocket and, and if, met if in the somebody middle. if somebody rushes six players at you, you can't you can't double clutch. Can't you you've got to see that six men are rushing, and and it's the same thing that happened on the interception. He was trying to go to deep ball to Jahan Dotson. He's trying to set up. We watched them practice this the last couple of weeks is that pump fake to move the deep safety to get enough room over there that he can throw that ball deep. And it was first down. Live to see another down. You know, I understand that this offense is is kind of in this rut of methodically driving the ball down the field, but it's working. And when you when you do stuff like that, and then you you tuck rule it, and they don't call it a tuck rule, and you fumble and it's returned for a fat man touchdown... It's even worse. Like that makes it even f- feel even worse. Dave, what was the turning point in the game for you? I will allow you to have one, even though Nate says that it's case closed. Yeah, I, <laughs> clearly that is the one, right? Um, but you know, I, another one I think is the interception. A similar, similar, I think concept, right? Sean Clifford not dealing with pressure all that well. Um, I think it was it was it was the fourth quarter. Just yeah. kind of threw it up to John Dotson. John Dotson wasn't expecting it. It got picked off. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> gave Ohio State points. Potentially took points off the board for Penn State. That's you know the definition of impactful. Um, yep. So I think that's a that's a nice little runner up to Nate's selection there. I I'm I'm with you, Dave. I kind of think the play later in the game, and here's why: because in in the second quarter. Going into halftime, they still scored. They scored a field goal. They came back and rallied from that. Now, they gave Ohio State four points in that exchange. That's not good. You can't give that team four points. On the other hand, then they scored a touchdown to come out of halftime, and they immediately erased that mistake in a certain way. They could not and did not have the time 
to erase the mistake later in the game. And that's really that's really what it was. The turnover later in the game, there's not enough time to erase it, and you put your defense on the field again in that situation, and they still held them to a field goal, but then you're putting yourself in an obvious situation down that many points that you have to throw the football. And they're and and it, it took time off the clock. It took a drive off the clock when Penn State was in position to go down and take the lead. And they were driving on that on that series before it happened. And to me, that effectively ended the game. Yes, they had other opportunities, but that was the that to me that was the dagger in in the heart for for the Penn State offenses. They couldn't recover from that. So, um, Nate, you are correct, but Dave and I are more correct. So that's where I'm going to go. I'll, I'll accept it. I, I can live with that as a, a second option. I just thought my thing with this is that the tenor of the game changed because of that play, right? Like it just the the vibe, the momentum that, and I understand they 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 fought back, but it was very different from a seven three lead uh, coming out of the first quarter, yeah. and then having the opportunity like it was just there a felt- shift in so you were there was there a shift in the feel in the stadium I know you're not on the sideline but was that the moment that everyone in the stadium knew okay now this is going our way I just I just think that instead of trading punches it became a Penn State needed uppercuts to to win like right. Penn, Penn State needed needed to throw a knockout blow rather than just this back and forth that had start like that had started to be the feel of that game where okay these two these two teams are going to be around each other and the last team to score wins well that went out the window after that play that play turned it into okay now Penn State is constantly playing from behind everything that it does from this point forward is playing from behind and that that's never fair. really changed yeah that's 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 entirely fair and in uh, fact and in fact, to the point, sorry, I should shut up, shouldn't I? Uh, no. To the point, no, well, just to the point where Sean Clifford throwing that pass that got intercepted was that sense of desperation, right? He didn't need to throw that pass, but yeah. it felt to him like he did, right? Like, Which is strange because they were in the game the entire time. I guess my point is that that perception is what I'm I'm interested in because the reality of the fact is they had the ball with 11 minutes left and they... No matter, I think it was 24-27 at that point, so they could tie or take the lead in the fourth yep. quarter. They got it exactly where they wanted, even with that big mistake. And if that's the case, if that's the if that's what that one play did, then okay. It just it it from from the way it played out, it I I, I have a hard time with that idea. But you know, that is that's a fair point to make about whether or not it changed the perception of Penn State that had to chase them in the second half. Dave, uh, what are you thinking about going into this week? What do you want to learn? What do you want to know? I'm thinking about whether the Raven guy who made the comment based his uh, username on Edgar Allan Poe. That's what I'm thinking about. But when, <laughs> uh, but as, as far as uh, Maryland, you know, I, I think, look, this is a game that Penn State should win. Penn State is infinitely more talented than Maryland. Sorry, Maryland. I don't mean to be mean. Right. Um, Penn State's quarterback looks at least capable of playing at a at a, at a at a in a way that approaches what he was playing at earlier this season. I think a, a limited Sean Clifford is the only way that Maryland wins this game, and I don't think Sean Clifford is overtly limited anymore. So, Nate, what are you thinking about? What do you want to know as we head into the week with Penn State football? So, and this was a number that I was curious about. Maryland's offensive numbers actually aren't that bad. Yeah. They, they, they've been okay. And so... Talia or Tua Jr., good quarterback. So, you know, uh, sound like a broken record, but if, if Maryland's going to get to 30 or 24 or 27, Penn State needs to match that. Yeah. And I understand, I mean, this has not been a good Maryland defense. Obviously, uh, I think everyone saw Ohio State light them up. But, okay, Penn State, you also just posted 10 in regulation against yep. Illinois. 
So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go out there and find a way. Like you, you got to find a way to do it. You got to find a way to score points. And Penn State has not done that with any real consistency this season. And frankly, I think that there are questions and a reasonable expectation of why hasn't Penn State been able to really get gaudy offensively? Yep. Ever. Yep. Uh, not in any, even Ball State. I mean, uh, th- 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 this is not a an offense that's been able to score 50-60 at all this season. And so, you know, is is this that opportunity against the nation's 96th ranked scoring defense? One matchup I'll give you from what I've seen on film scouting Penn State's previous opponents when they played Maryland. Maryland loves to blitz. So... If they get home to Sean Clifford, things could get interesting. If they don't, they play a lot of man coverage. It could be the day that what you just said happens, or it could be another day with 10 points and a couple of interceptions. We'll see. And of course, you know, I'll, I'll be digging into more film on Maryland and their strengths and weaknesses and how those matchups work throughout the week. So if you want to check out the BWI Daily Edition coming up today and Monday through Friday, now part of the On3 Network. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us about Penn State football. Thanks to everybody in the chat who uh, participated, everyone who uh, was having a discussion in the chat and who joined us here on air. Thank you so much for all of the people who donated the channel. We'll be back again post game for Penn State and Maryland. And then one week from today, we'll be right here on BWI Live. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you next.